It's Wednesday, March the 30th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, peace talks evolve and Russia to pull back troops from Kyiv. First, the world in brief. At peace talks in Istanbul, Russia said that it was willing to, quote, radically cut the number of troops stationed around Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, in order, quote, to strengthen trust. A Ukrainian spokesperson has said his country needs security guarantees and a ceasefire. Russia wants its annexation of Crimea to be recognised and independence for the Donbass region, but is no longer demanding Ukraine be, quote, denazified and is reportedly prepared to let it join the EU. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, has said that the country won't compromise on its territorial integrity. But the Pentagon advised against taking Russia at its word. A spokesman for America's Defense Department said that though, quote, small numbers of Russian troops had withdrawn from around Kyiv, it was probably, quote, a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. Quote, it does not mean the threat to Kyiv is over, he added. President Joe Biden said he would not, quote, read anything into Russian claims until I see what their actions are. Stock indices in America rose as markets were boosted by signs of progress in peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. The SIBO Volatility Index, Wall Street's fear gauge, dropped by 15% on Tuesday to its lowest level since mid-January. Russia's invasion had fueled a rise in metal prices, but gold has now dropped to a one-month low. Still, uncertainties remain. The three major American indices are set to record their worst quarters since the start of the pandemic. America's Treasury Department is preparing sanctions against Russia's military supply chain, according to an official. The aim, the department said, is to hit, quote, Russia's ability to build and maintain the tools of war that rely on these inputs. Earlier, Mr Zelensky urged the West to impose more sanctions on Russia, including European oil embargoes, and to keep supplying weapons to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia offered to buy back some dollar-denominated bonds with rubles, as worries grew over a possible default. Several European countries said they would expel 43 Russian diplomats, whom they accused of espionage. Belgium told 21 Russians to leave, while the Netherlands kicked out 17. Ireland and the Czech Republic together expelled five. Russia promised to retaliate. Earlier, other European countries, including Bulgaria, Poland and the Baltic states, ordered dozens of Russians to leave. Other news. UNICEF said that more than 400 million children in 23 countries are still being fully or partially kept out of classrooms because of COVID-19 restrictions. In addition, the UN agency said that many youngsters did not return to school when their classrooms reopened, following previous lengthy lockdowns. Regulators in America authorised a fourth dose of the COVID-19 vaccine made by Moderna or Pfizer-BioNTech for anyone older than 50. London's police will issue 20 fines in connection with breaches of COVID-19 regulations at government buildings including 10 Downing Street, 
where Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, lives and works. The quote, Partygate scandal involves at least 12 events during 2020 and 2021. Australia's Trade Minister said the country is, quote, getting very close to finalising a trade deal with India. Such a deal has been in the works for more than a decade. One big dispute has been how much access Australia should get to the Indian agricultural market. Shares in Barclays, a British bank, fell by 6% after one unnamed investor sold off shares worth $1.2 billion, equivalent to a 3.6% stake. The lender has been in hot water after it revealed that a compliance blunder led to a $589 million loss in America. And fact of the day, 46%, the year-on-year price increase for certain goods in Russia between February 21st and March 6th. And now, here's today's agenda. What Russia Wants Just over a month ago, Russian troops poured into Ukraine, intending to capture Kyiv and occupy the country. But their failure to take any major city other than Kherson has forced a rethink. On Tuesday, Russia's Deputy Defence Minister, Alexander Famin, announced that Russia has decided to, quote, drastically roll back its offensive near the capital. Russia's government now claims that its focus is merely on, quote, liberating Donbass, the region in eastern Ukraine, to which it sent troops in 2014 to, to support a separatist movement. Russian proxies held one-third of the Donbass before this war, so territorial gains, including the port city of Mariupol, could give Vladimir Putin a face-saving exit plan. But Ukraine's government will not readily sacrifice its own territory, and Western countries are unlikely to lift sanctions while Russia hangs on to any new land. Those sanctions are suffocating Russia. S&P, a ratings agency, reckons its GDP will shrink by 22% this year. Had Mr Putin confined his war to the Donbass, he might have avoided such punitive measures. Now the Kremlin faces an unappetising choice. It can have its partial victory, or it can have an economy. Omicron shuts down Shanghai For most of the pandemic, the 26 million residents of China's business hub have had it relatively easy. Shanghai has had few cases of COVID-19 and imposed few restrictions. That changed with an outbreak of Omicron. After hundreds of cases in recent weeks, the city is now in the middle of a staggered eight-day lockdown. The east side of Shanghai, home to the financial district, locked down first on March 28th. Residents were allowed outside only to be tested. The west side will soon follow. The lockdown is due to end on April 4th, once the city's entire population has been tested. China's, quote, zero-Covid strategy is wearing thin. The government has already tweaked the definition of, quote, zero. And as the rest of the world opens up, Shanghai's lockdown is testing authorities' resolve to eradicate the virus. Failure to contain this outbreak 
could push them to explore new strategies. Generation Rent Picks Up The Keys For many millennials, home ownership was once a distant dream. But now the generation born between 1981 and 1996 is emerging as a driver of the housing boom in the rich world. In America, millennials accounted for more than half of all mortgage applications over the past two years. British millennials are now more likely to own their home than to rent. More millennials are reaching their peak buying years, but the home buying frenzy reflects more than ageing. Lockdowns and remote working have left people wanting more space. So millennials are upsizing, leaving cities or trading expensive areas for cheaper ones as remote work opens up more affordable places to live. Whether the boom will last depends on affordability. Rising interest rates could increase mortgage servicing costs, while constraints on supply, exacerbated by shortages of labour and materials, means fewer houses to choose from. For some millennials, the dream of home ownership may remain out of reach. The Road to Peace in Tigray A fragile truce between Ethiopia's central government and rebels from the northern region of Tigray has mostly held since it was provisionally agreed by both sides on March 25th. But after nearly 17 months of civil war, peace depends on a lot of aid arriving in the region as soon as possible. No food has entered Tigray since the middle of December. Hundreds of thousands of people are starving. Tigrayan leaders said they would respect the ceasefire only if help arrives in, quote, reasonable time. But the Ethiopian government has authorised the use of just one road for aid shipments. That road winds through the northeastern Afar region and is too dangerous to use. Some suspect what the UN has called a, quote, de facto blockade of the region suits Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, who has been accused of using hunger as a weapon. But Tigrayan leaders have warned of a new offensive, should Abi fail to honour his promise. Roaches to the rescue A small but determined band of researchers is trying to robotize insects. Some of them work on turning flying bugs into cyborgs for use in military reconnaissance. Others prefer to concentrate on the creepy crawly side of etymology by taking control of cockroaches. The first cyber roach was designed in 1997, its movements dictated by electrical signals directed at its antenna. Now, Sato Hirataka of Nanyang Technological University in Singapore is deploying roaches as autonomous agents saddled with a backpack of sensors and a camera. Although wingless, six-centimetre-long Madagascar hissing cockroaches are excellent climbers. Their mission is to search collapsed buildings for survivors by crawling through rubble and scanning for signs of life, including movement, body heat and carbon dioxide. Early tests in a simulated disaster have been promising. Software carried by the roaches recognised humans correctly 87% of the time. Dr Sato reckons a commercialised fleet could be ready within five years. Music 
Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday. Which one-act play by Tom Stoppard is a parody of Agatha Christie dramas? Tuesday. Which drummer, noted for his lengthy solos, was a co-founder of the supergroup Cream? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Nella Larson, who died on this day in 1964. Authors do not supply imaginations. They expect their readers to have their own and to use it. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 